This episode of the Bill Bennett podcast was recorded prior to Russia invading Ukraine. On the next episode, Bill will share his thoughts and analysis on the Russia invasion. Enjoy the show. Podcasts have changed the way we get our news, entertainment, politics, everything. Uh They've rewritten the script. Uh, Somebody said to me this morning, I don't read op-eds, but I do listen to podcasts. Mm -hmm. We hope you listen to this one. Well, there's another exciting development that's rewritten the script, too, and that's called Masterworks. Okay. Masterworks enables you to diversify your portfolio. This is for investors. Mm Mm-hmm and potentially protected from market volatility. And you do so by investing in contemporary art with Masterworks. Ah, okay. Now, I'm not up on contemporary art, but boy, it's hot Mm -hmm. and people love it. They're the fintech startup shaking up the alternative investing landscape. It lets you build a portfolio of fine art without spending millions of dollars. Mm -hmm. Invest in Picasso, Warhol. Uh, invest in paintings by iconic artists like these with Masterworks. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Masterworks has an industry-leading research team, and it's created the first and only platform where anybody can buy and trade shares of paintings, giving you the same access enjoyed by millionaires and billionaires for generations. See, now you're talking my language, because I'm not a big art guy. Like, I sit there and I look at it, I don't get it. But I'm a money person. Give it a try. Our listeners get priority access to their latest offerings at masterworks.art slash bill. Okay. Masterworks.art slash bill. Join a new generation of investors. This is a new deal, boy. This is the, the modern world. Join that new generation of investors at masterworks.art slash bill. And folks, see important disclaimers at masterworks.io slash disclaimer. Masterworks, give it a look. All right, folks, welcome back to the Bill Bennett Show. It is the podcast that takes a look at the news of the day and have thoughtful conversations about the things that matter the most. We'll try to do that today. We won't have much problem because joining me today is our friend Seth. Mm-hmm. Seth Leaps, and many of you know him. You know him, Claude. A show favorite, personally one of my favorites. I mean, I can't think of a better way to follow. I mean, we, we had Brian Kennedy and Joel Farkas for a two-part uh, thing, and now we've got Seth. I mean, that's a good three shows in a row. You bet. Seth Leapson, host of The Seth Leapson Show, joins me now. Let's start. Go to Seth's strength. How many major league baseball teams practice in Arizona? Uh, we have we have had the Cubs for years. When I met Leo DeRocher, that was fun. Uh, then we also had the California Angels, so I got to meet Billy Martin when he was with them. And we probably have another one, but I don't know. We have, of course, the professional team, the Diamondbacks. But uh, that's about it, as far as I know. I might be missing one. Did pretty good. Didn't he, Claude? Mm-hmm. He did. He did. Leo DeRocher, that, Billy Martin. Come on. <laughs> well, if you're 80 years old, I, that would those names will mean something to you. And how old are you? Uh, <laughs> that's a good. Let's point. move on. He is on attack today. Here's the other thing, though, about I, I, I do want to stick up for Seth just in one aspect because when we do have him on, you normally do go right for the sports to kind of like jab at him a little bit. And so I feel like he just counterpunches at times. Well, hold on a minute. Wait a minute. That's that. You started the sentence fine. What I thought you were going to say is, and I don't know if you've noticed, but the last three times his answers have been pitch perfect. He is punchy today. And in fact, (laughs) even had the Cardinals record better than you. I think we got to get another guest. (laughs) Wait a minute. This is getting out of hand. Man. Seth's on the road. We haven't, we haven't even gotten to controversial issues yet. 
Seth, how you doing? Everything all right? Uh, everything is great. How you doing, Bill? Well, pretty well. Pretty well. Um, truckers, you with them? Brothers of the highway, you betcha I'm with them. Um, I, I am amazed. You look at the institutions the left is going after these days. These are the institutions they used to say they spoke on behalf of. Isn't it interesting? Working class, that sort of thing. But, you know, you you learned this. You taught me this. We learned it together if we didn't know it before. In 2004 onward, there's probably no better educated, smarter, well-informed class as an institution than truckers. And um, the way that Trudeau and his government have gone after them and the left has sympathized uh, at one part, in part, part, I want to say it's shocking. And in the other, I, 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 there's nothing, very little shocks me anymore. Um, I just didn't think that amongst all the epithets they would conjure up to denounce them, racism would be one of them. Um, that having been said, uh, I'm with the truckers. Martin Luther King would have been with the truckers. Gandhi would have been with the truckers. Henry David Thoreau would have been with the truckers. Augustine would have been with the truckers. Isaiah would have been with the truckers. Who am I not to be with these truckers? Isaiah, that's even further back than Leo DeRoter. It's a little further back. Uh, yeah. And then I struggled to think about what Aristotle said about disobedience. And I'm not sure if that's earlier or later than Isaiah, but uh, you can get it wherever you want it. And it's the kind of stuff we used to be taught in this country, that civil disobedience on, be on behalf of a good cause and against an unjust law was something we were supposed to salute, not denounce. What is with Trudeau? I mean, there, he's way overreaching, right? Yeah. Yeah, uh, just reacting, uh, way overreacting. There is a legitimate concern about blocking traffic. Sure, or not. sure, there, sure. There's a legitimate concern about it, just as there was a legitimate concern when Martin Luther King blocked traffic. It's the question not of tactics, but of merits. What is the point? Are we fighting an unjust law with not even a rational basis that would be so easy to change? You bet we are. And the only reason we won't change it is because uh, the government of Canada right now is constituted, uh, believes it can kick the truckers in the name of uh, satisfying its uh, tyrannical objectives or at least authoritarian objectives. Think about the law they're opposing. It literally makes no sense. I say it's beneath rational basis and laws. Laws have to at basic levels. They have to at least make sense. This one doesn't. We are requiring a forced injection into a human body to protect other people in an industry, well, with a vaccine that we know injecting will not protect other people, but in an industry that couldn't be farther from community spread than, uh, than, than, than a man playing desert solitaire. People, individuals riding alone in their cabs, um, what, what connection of law and rationality attaches to what is being dictated to them? They have every right to get people to stop traffic for just a little bit so that maybe they will stop in their tracks and start thinking about what they're demanding of people, which is the most personal invasion of body sovereignty. Am I right that I read or hear correctly that this uh, mandated vaccine thing actually, they're lifting it on March 1st? I don't, I, you may be ahead of the news on me. I haven't, I haven't looked at what the Canadian, uh, what the Canadian plan is right now. If you're right, then a fortiori what I just said, all the more so. Uh, and it's striking to yeah. me, striking to me that the tale is told here by just listening to what the government is saying, listening to the prime minister, listening to the deputy prime minister. Did you see the minister of justice yesterday? 
Anyone who's yeah, a Trump, yeah. Trump supporter. How did Trump become part of this? Trump, I, I don't yeah. even think he knows where Trump is on this. I'm not even sure the truckers and Trump are in agreement on the vaccine, to be honest with Didn't you. Didn't Trump go out big in terms of the vaccine and show his arm and tell everybody to get vaxxed? I think he did. I mean, Trump but, got into it with. Did you see that argument he got into with Candace Owens over it? I understand Trump's position. I understand Candace's position. One of them wants you know, credit for inventing and developing a great thing, and the other one is saying, "Hold on, <laughs> you know." Yeah, but where? Did, yeah, why did he come up with this argument? You know. It, well, that's exactly right. So I think the tale was told in two places. One there, Trump stands for anything not progressive, anything not left. It's not even the ex-president in their country, right? Uh, the yeah. party, the capital P party, as uh, as uh, George Orwell put it, they are always right. And uh, anyone who supports Trump is uh, what's the word we want here? Synecdoche, a stand in for not the yeah. party. That's one. And the other is when you have the prime minister uh, of, of Canada telling a committed uh, leader of the opposition party, a committed Jewish member of the opposition yeah. party, yeah. that she's standing with people. Who, who salute uh, swastikas, yeah. you know that their argument is, oh, well passed over. Yeah, well, as soon as you invoke Hitler, it's over, right? Even Whether well, they're doing you or tried. not. He has tried because once you don't have, I, I keep going back to this strange phrase from the law, rational basis, What's, there's no rational reason for what you're doing. All you're left with in denouncing your opposition is is epithet, I think. And the epithet that seems to have been the first go-to for the, to the right. progressives, at least, for right. the last probably, well, ever since Barry Goldwater ran for president, is racist, Nazi, uh, fascist, or yeah. cowboy. Cowboy. Maybe soon it'll be trucker. Maybe trucker will replace cowboy. By the but way, it, isn't that kind of interesting? Think of the three professions the left has gone on a, on a, on a ride against over the last just few years. Cowboys, cops, cowboys, cops, and truckers. Think about that and think about isn't that. that isn't think that about YMCA, our youth and think about that. Isn't that the YMCA band? It's close to it. All we're missing is a, <laughs> yeah, we're missing a Native American or a telephone repairman. But it's but three out of four, that. I think. Yeah. yeah, think about that. By the way, all professions that don't require a college degree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, all prof- two out of three of the professions, things boys used to play and want to be cowboys and Indians, cops and robbers. That went out a while ago. People used to dream to be grow up, be a cowboy, a policeman, maybe a fireman or an astronaut. I mean, they are depriving massive swaths of respectability from this culture. And I, I you know, it just step back a moment and think about what what it is and who it is they're going after. These are not traditional. These are not the traditional um precincts of uh, the working class heroes in, in, in Marxism. Maybe that's why we should call them neo-Marxists. Am I going on? Uh, I'm rambling. I'm you sorry. are going on, but you're going on very well. Okay. Um, yeah. Maybe that's what gets them. None of those professions require a college degree. Maybe that's what gets the elites the most. They all have their alternative yeah. education paths available. Let me just add and complete. You mentioned kids who grow up to be cowboys. My baby don't, mamas don't let your babies grow up to be cowboys, right? Um, That's one song, yeah. Another yeah. one is and my heroes have always been cowboys. Always been cowboys. Yeah. And uh, cops. Uh, and, but don't forget the truck. Yep. Uh, I don't know, you know about, about you guys, but uh, my boys were trucks, trucks, trucks. Bet. And little, little, my grandson, who's just barely over a year, you know, uh, his grandmother, Mrs. Bennett, took, took, 
handed him the truck and he was with it for two hours. Everyone wanted a Tonka trunk. Everyone wanted a Yeah, Tonkas, right. And the little truck books continue to uh, delight when they're used. Um, I just want to be clear here on the side of civilization uh, in in capital C plus small C. This is small C. Uh, They do, uh, the authorities do have the right to tell them to disperse, right? You bet. Arrest them. You bet. Cite them, disturbance of the peace, all of it. You bet. Okay, okay. But the vilif- it's the vilification. Well, it's right. the vilification, but it's also the extreme measure of depriving them of their livelihood and seizing well, their bank true. accounts. Think yeah. about the seizure yeah. of the banking yeah. accounts. We'll get to the yeah. livelihood in a second. But think about the seizure of finances. This is an interesting one under the use of an emergency declaration, because what's interesting about it is typically if you're going as a state to move against someone, um, you can fight it in court or you have to get a warrant in court to do so. This bypasses all of that. So there's no need to justify your actions before a neutral or a theoretically neutral uh, magistrate, A. B, so your only recourse is to defend yourself post hoc after your money has been seized and you've been arrested. And how do you do that now that you have no money? This is about the most tyrannical thing you could do short of locking someone up without habeas corpus. It's quite amazing. But they, I mean, they are being treated identically to how you would treat terrorists, except you're not shooting them, right? I think that's exactly right. Um, and you wouldn't call terrorists racist because that would be considered Islamophobic. What is it, Seth, that maybe you hinted at this or did more than hint at it already? What makes Trudeau and these others hate them so much? Is it this lack of a college degree? Is it this uppityness that they're showing toward the elites? Is it elite versus people, the populist thing. The Minister of Justice was sputtering there and uh, saying, you you people are Trump. I guess that's the worst thing you can think to say. Yeah. I hate the vulgar crowd, perhaps. I don't know. Um, I I think it's easier to beat up on. I think it's easier to kick down. It's easier to kick down to the the elites to kick down non-elites. I think there's certainly that. I think compliance has become the new, the, the new liberal religion. Uh, uh, comply with the state in the name of, uh, of, uh, of any amorphous notion that they want to grab. Today, it's safety and science. Um, you know what's kind of interesting about um, so, uh, something I, 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 you know, I'm constantly discovering gems in, in Orwell's 1984 book. Recent gem I just discovered I'll, I'll, I'll do it almost verbatim. I'll, I'll miss a little, but it's almost verbatim. In Oceana, which is the city there, uh, or the state, uh, in Oceana, in Newspeak, the word science no longer exists because we have removed all objective standards. Isn't that fascinating? Isn't that fascinating? Look at what they've done with the word science here. Um, but why the truckers? Um, why the truckers? Why anyone? Why, 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 why have they done anything? I, I think they have worked themselves up into a lather they cannot climb down from. And the last thing they're going to do is admit anything they did was wrong. So the only thing they can do is force people into silent acquiescence and, and silence. I, I think you, you, you seized the other day, Bill, on a quote, uh, on a quote from Vaclav Havel you really liked. Yeah, and you sent it to me, because so I want to thank you for it. If the main pillar of the system is living a lie, then it's not sure. surprising that the fundamental threat to it is living the truth, and that is why it must be suppressed more severely than anything else. And what's the truth here? 
that's being suppressed? Uh, The truth that's being suppressed here is that vaccines do not stop community spread. The truth here is that truckers do not engage in community spread. The truth is that people are individuals and different, and there may be very, very, very legitimate reasons for someone not wanting to be uh, vaccinated, which is to say a fairly antiseptic word for what we're talking about. It's a state order for someone not yourself to inject you in the physical body with a new material. There's a lot of reasons someone may not like that and uh, or want that or need it, particularly if they've had COVID recently or if they have conditions that uh, that uh, militate against uh, those kinds of uh, things in your in your bloodstream or if you have some other kind of natural immunity or if you just don't think you're that subject to it and you think, holy smokes, 98.6% of us who get this disease might just survive, you know, there's a lot of legitimate truths here that no one wants to talk about. And no one wants to talk about the inefficacy of the vaccines either. Up until October, up until October, the CDC printed breakthrough hospitalizations and deaths. That is to say, people who died of covid though fully vaccinated or were hospitalized with COVID, though fully vaccinated. And by the end of October, because those numbers were now approaching uh, into the 25,000s, they just took it down. They just stopped. They don't report it anymore. They stopped reporting that truth. Then there's the whole question of uh, some people having adverse reactions. Think about what the government told us for the better part of a year and a half. You must be vaccinated and it must be one of three vaccines. Well, son of a gun, in the dark of night in December, they just quietly said, um, two vaccines. We're not going to be recommending that Johnson and Johnson anymore. I mean, this is the main argument against Joe Rogan, Bill. They're all mad at Joe Rogan for saying nothing more than what the CDC ended up saying. It just he did it two months earlier. Yeah, that's what I got the J and J partly out of that partly out of that reason. Um, and then you got COVID. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So the so when Joe Biden said it'll keep you from getting COVID, it'll keep you from the hospital. That's as untrue as anything anyone else has said that got banned for saying it on on social media. I guess it was in your litany, but if not, I would just put it my even if so, I'd put it my way. Isn't it right to be questioning and fearful and reluctant? To take a vaccine by an order of the government, which has been wrong on so many things. And it's no it's no accident to me uh, that, you know, a large percentage, a larger percentage of black Americans uh, have not been vaccinated, I think, than any other group. Uh, They remember Tuskegee, you know, and uh, that story has been told, you know, and, and, you know, (laughs) using people for experimentation. And frankly, isn't this whole thing, this massive government experiment? I mean, I know these things have been tested, but warp speed to me is a troubling thing. It's great. We got it out. But doesn't it take time really to figure out exactly what the consequences are of these things? We have, and- removed, we have removed medicines in short periods of time. Last year, we got new guidance on taking aspirin. Yeah. Uh, you and I are very familiar with what, what was being done with Vioxx. 
And in 1976, there was a vaccine program that was leading to too many adverse effects, and they yanked it. Listen, before, uh, when was the vaccine announced? The week after the election, 2020. That's its own interesting thing, isn't it? The week after the election, 2020. Um, Before it was announced, before it was announced, nearly every medical professional I talked to said, well, we'll hope for a vaccine, but boy, it has got to be thoroughly vetted. I wouldn't want to be the first one to take it. And somewhere between, uh, I don't know, November, December 2020 and uh, March 2021, all that all that changed. <laughs> and nearly every medical professional was saying, oh, yeah, you got to get it. You got to get it. What changed? What changed? Nothing changed. Nothing changed. I think it's right to be skeptical. I think um, if you have underlying conditions or in an uh, age category that 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 matters on these things, it's probably a good idea. But the notion that you have to choose between that and your livelihood because the state says so is not socialized medicine. It's tyrannical. Uh, it's, it's tyrannical misanthropy. It's also telling and instructive um, that throughout 2020, the media couldn't do enough interviews and highlight and celebrate enough frontline medical workers like nurses. Um, they were the new heroes in our society. Until and, they said they wouldn't do it. Yeah. Until they started getting fired by the tens of thousands for not taking the vaccine. And wouldn't you kind of want to interview a nurse as to why what it is, what it is they saw that keeps them from getting the vaccine? You'd think that would be the time to interview them. No, they're they're just non-persons now. Also, you know, I'm not the most careful listener to TV, but I, you know, it's on all day and I'm watching in the background, listening in the background. I don't know how you watch in the background. Anyway, listening in the background. Um, I get the impression, tell me if I'm wrong, that a lot of the experts who are on, uh, you know, not just Fauci, but people I tend more to like, like Gottlieb, it seems an awful lot of them have, are on the board of Pfizer or have a big financial interest in this vaccine. Am I wrong about that? No, you're not wrong. And that's why I think Scott Gottlieb is one of the last people that should be on TV talking about it. When you look at what percent of profit that company took from this vaccine. Yeah, I think he's about the least credible person uh, you could put on there. Um, I just happen to think that um, I just happen to think that uh, when it comes to, you know, people who work exclusively for the government, uh, Anthony Fauci or Michelle Walensky or any of these people. I, I think what's important is what's their track record? What have they been right about? Yeah, yeah. What major thing have they been right about? I would venture to say on every major thing they turned out wrong, every major thing. And the experts um, that they should have been turning to uh, were Heather McDonald, you, me, Dennis Prager, Jay Bhattacharya, um, and Atlas, Marty McCary. And Marty McCary. Because you know what we know now, what we were writing about in April 2020? You and I wrote about thing. Nothing has changed. Nothing has changed from what we said. And it's all borne out to be true. Numbers might have been different, but everything else is borne out to be true. Yeah, the article that Seth is talking about, we published in April or May 2020. Well, we did about five or six articles from April to the summer, maybe seven. I don't know. I think they've all borne out. Every one of them. Every one of them. And... And we were censored. I, I, well, so I would replicate them on, on my show, Bill. And uh, we were doing YouTube at the time. YouTube took them all down. Every single one of them was banned. Every single one of them. Weren't we banned attacked on, from the right, too, by National Review? 
Yeah, I think Rich Lowry has a lot of apologies to offer. A lot. Yeah, yeah. But it was mainly ignored, wasn't it? Or taken down. Speak for yourself, but I'm not the smartest guy in the class. But there were things that were going on that were so frigging obvious. It was obvious. What happened to the study from Johns Hopkins two weeks ago? 1,800 lives were saved by all of this. Why is that study not news of the year? Why is that? What what happened to that? Massive study out of Johns Hopkins University two weeks ago. All the mitigation efforts for that took place for a year and a half saved 1,800 lives. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, what happened to that study? Fair enough. Yeah, what happened to that study? I was delighted to see, and it it should have been a revelation, when they announced to that classroom of kids they could take their masks off. (laughs) You see those little guys jumping up and down? I saw that. It was beautiful. Did you see the Secretary of Education, your successor, saying that his favorite part about teaching on Tuesday, love a teacher day? What was his favorite part about teaching? Seeing smiling faces. What a lie. What a crock. He hasn't seen a smiling face on a child in two years. Yeah. And boy, what a big deal that is. Yeah. It is a big deal. It is a big deal. Now now add special needs kids to look at each other, to see the teacher's approbation, yep. her smile, her yep. approval, yep. the child's embarrassment at a question. Yep. And now add children with learning disabilities who rely on facial expression. Yeah. All right. Well, back to the truckers. So how does this end? Seth? Well, I hope it ends. I don't understand the Canadian political system as well as, as, as probably everyone listening to this podcast, to be honest with you. But I hope it ends with political retribution. And yes, that's the word I want to use, retribution. These people deserve punishment, political punishment, political punishment. They deserve to be cast away and never heard from again. They deserve to be embarrassed. They deserve to have the reputation that we think of when we give it to people like Richard Nixon. They deserve to be gone. You know, another thing that's been brought up that I think is, is fair is the you know, the degree of vitriol and, and action, you know, you should mention closing down their banks, their bankability um, with what went on in the summer of 2020. Huh? Yeah, uh, how many of these truckers have uh, burnt down uh, buildings? How many have sent firebombs against federal courthouses? Yeah. How many co- how many people have been killed? Um, and how many politicians uh, who, like our vice president, have stood up and said, I'm going to raise funds for them? Yeah. Uh, how many are? Yeah, no, this this is this is not only disproportionate in and of itself. It's misoriented. It's disoriented. There's a disorientation going in no. uh, around. We have our priorities wrong. You um, you taught me that, down. Uh, totally. You got me into that great. You taught me years ago that that great C.S. Lewis line about rushing for the fire hoses when there's a flood. Right. Uh, and, and his next line on that, interestingly, his next line on that is by tending to focus on the things that matter least rather than the things that matter most when the boat is gunwale under. You know, that, that, that's a disorientation. We're disoriented right now. Uh, yeah, we make uh, men without chest and expect of them courage. Yeah. You know what's interesting about that quote? The name of the book it's in, The Abolition of Man. Yeah. But why is it upside down? You know, I keep thinking, you know, at the end of the revolution, right? You know that, that the British drum and bugle corps in Virginia was, was playing. The world turned upside down. I mean, it's upside down. I mean, you, you've got to demonstrate it by your 
your lucid and powerful uh, presentation here. Do you still regard yourself as a neoconservative? No, probably not. And I, and I, and I regret it. Um, I don't even know if I consider myself a conservative. I don't know what I am anymore. I, I, don't, know. I don't know what I am. Well, hearing you on Canadian truckers, I think your conservative credentials are pretty good. I hope so. I don't know what yeah. I am. Uh, yeah. Okay. I, you know, I got to tell you, I got to tell you, I think a lot of people reexamined their antipathy to libertarian philosophy in certain respects yeah. over a couple years, too. You know, yeah. I, yeah, I this, think a lot of these strands of conservatism have become much more fused than they yeah. were. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, libertarianism, I mean, if you want to make a case for libertarianism, this administration's making it. Yeah, exactly. And, yes. Yeah. Exactly. San Francisco. Yeah. Firing the school board members. Yeah. But I understand you believe wasn't because they were renaming buildings. Yeah, I think it's overstated. I'm always worried. I don't know if this bothers you, too. I'm always worried that conservatives tend to leap too high and too joyfully over victories that are that are that are very temporary and may not be the victory they think it is. What's there's an old Confucius line when you jump for joy. Make sure no one's removing the ground from beneath you. Listen, I don't think it had anything to do with them renaming schools, taking Lincoln's and Washington's and Paul Revere's names off those schools. I know San Francisco politics pretty darn, at least public policy and, and ideology pretty darn well. I interview a lot of San Francisco people on my show, and I just know a lot of people there. I don't, I don't, I don't think 80 percent of the voting population in San Francisco would have had a problem uh, with renaming those schools. I think it was that the schools weren't open. And I think that they were doing those other things rather than getting those schools open was the uh, was the energy or the catalyst for even bringing that part of it into the debate. I think it had to do with the schools not being open, not the woke CRT nonsense they were engaged in. So I think well, it's half a victory. Hang on one second, though. Uh, since we have you, we don't have who was the guy we had on? Schellenberger, San Francisco. Yeah, yeah, Michael Schroeder. Yeah. Isn't he great? Yeah. yeah, he was very good. Yeah. And he's an old lefty, right? Yeah. So so, so was Jennifer Say, the president of Levi Brands. She said, are you familiar right. with her story? I mean, she yeah. said she was to the left of the left. This is where the new recruits may come from. <laughs> you know, I thought it was going to be cancel culture. It might be, it might be over the school closures. I don't know. But let me ask you this. Yeah. Expert on San Francisco. Yeah, because I, I have a serious question. Are there any registered Republicans in San Francisco? If so, there, how many? Well, uh, yeah, probably prob- probably not more than 20 percent. I don't know. OK, what do you Second, think? So I, I have no idea. I, I don't know anybody anymore. You know, I used to go there all the time. Yeah. Uh, well, I was living on speeches. Yep. You know, every fourth speech was in beautiful San Francisco. And, you know, I stay at the top of the 8%. hill and I'd walk down 8%. and I'd walk around the walk around the harbor and, you know, down to the, the wharf yeah. and then walk back up the hill when I was in shape and run up the hill when I was in shape. Uh, what eight, percent? Eight. Okay. Eight. <laughs> the, really? Eight. Did you make that up? You just No, I'm up. looking at the politics of San Francisco on Wikipedia right now. Okay. And this doesn't in any way challenge your thesis, but I'm just curious. They would be most upset about schools closing. But then in the case of Lowell High School, which is where the one person I do know from San Francisco went, uh, that was a merit school. 
kind of yep. like Thomas Jefferson School, but they changed it to a lottery school. Right. And that's poison. It's poison to the elites, too, isn't it, Bill? I mean, you know, they can they can get along and go yeah, along yeah, with yeah, public yeah. schools so long as the public school is Lowell or Bronx Science or uh, what did yeah, you say, yeah, yeah. Thomas Jefferson or New Trier. That's the public school they like. Once we make it like everything else, we're going to get a little angry. Yeah. And by the way, the private schools, did you read that great article interviewing the parents from uh, Harvard Westlake? No. Uh-uh. You know what Harvard Westlake uh-huh. is, don't you? Uh-huh. All right. Very, you know, elite private school. Extremely expensive. Mm-hmm. Anyway, they had these sessions. Uh, you know, you and I would call them indoctrination sessions for parents uh, about their white privilege and all this. And they interviewed these parents, all, of course, anonymous. And they said, you know, I'll spend the 60000 a year for this prep school. I'll go to these stupid meetings and hear all this garbage and swallow it, provided my kid gets into Stanford. Right. But I think it's our colleague and friend, Victor Davis Hanson, who said, wait a second. They're not getting in. Then you're going to see a revolt of the elites. You know, I, I do have a kind word to say about our Speaker of the House. Unlike Joe Biden and unlike Kamala Harris, she actually submits to a lot of interviews. She really does. You can't go a Sunday without seeing her on one of the programs. She really does. I'll give her credit for that. I and would, when she does, she lies and lies and lies, but well, she does She does sit there. Yeah. What I would love is for a reporter to ask her how she voted in the recall election. I would love to know the answer to that. Wouldn't you? Yeah. I bet she voted to keep them. Yeah. I bet she voted against the recall. Well, I, you look, I understand you think uh, people are over-interpreting or misinterpreting, but it's an important moment anyway. Uh, it is for me. You know why, personally, don't you? You know, uh, for years when I was on the stump and I'd give my speech and then we'd go to Q&A and people would say, I really hate, want to change education. What do I do? What did I say? Run for I school said, board. Run for the school board. People yeah. would laugh. Yeah. yeah. As if it were a joke line. Yeah. Well, I used to say, look, uh, you know, that's where the rubber hits the road. That's where the decisions are made. You're giving out condoms. We teaching math. You know, what are we doing? The big decisions that will affect your child's life. And then my last line at the end was, and by the way, if you serve on a school board, and you're a Catholic, you get a lot of time off in purgatory because that's what it is. It's purgatory. Bill, um, you'll be getting in the mail any day now your new issue of the Claremont Review of Books. Uh-huh. I want the audience, and I'll reference to you, to read the opening essay by Charles Kessler. It looks like something you and I could have written 15 years ago, but fine, good. He goes into a pretty deep dive of Nicole Hannah-Jones of the 1619 Project. Uh huh. And he went through an essay, her opening essay, which I had never done before, and he did. And it's very interesting. I did not know this. She tells the story of her dad, who was a World War II vet, proudly flying the American flag in their front yard and taking such good care of it that the moment it became tinged or dirty, he would replace it. And then she has a very interesting line. I learned in school why he was wrong. This is, this, huh. this is the problem. Huh. This is Heartbreaking. the problem. Heartbreaking. And, 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 and Bill, you were on this. You got that right. When you said run for school board, you got it right. Because the left took the school seriously, and we didn't. And they knew what they were doing, and we didn't. Yeah. Chapter two of the Communist Manifesto, Karl Marx says, if you want to vanish the family, you start in the schools. Yeah. Vanish. Well, I was vanish the family. 
All I can tell you is the smartest guy I know, maybe as smart as you are, David Gelerter. Oh, so, uh, <laughs> I know. No, smartest I know. guy in the world, thanks. Okay. Yeah, he's another another planet he's on, I know. but Who are the three smartest people you know? We'll come back to that. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, no, he said, oh, by the way, I agree with you that uh, uh, we don't get, we're not going to do it unless we fix the schools. Yeah. Colleges and universities, sure, that's where I live, he said, but really it's the schools, that's the school. middle and high school. I found out in school that he was wrong. Do you know that she says, and this is part of critical race theory, I mean, why didn't it just fall? People say, well, what's it all about? Anyway, I give one example. The American Revolution was fought to maintain slavery, to keep slavery. What the hell are they talking about? I mean, that's Bill Buckley. That's wrong. How do you know it's wrong? It's wrong. Well, there was a scholarship that believed that. There was a scholarship that believed that, we used to call it the lost cause view of the American founding. Yeah. That yeah. is what Jefferson Davis believed. That is what Alexander Stevens yeah. believed. That is what Roger B. Taney believed. I don't now think look, look who they're citing. As exactly. Authority. I don't think the 1619 project understands that they are using Confederate history of the United States. There was yeah. another view, the view of Lincoln, the view of Grant, the view of Frederick yeah. Douglass, the view of yeah. Martin Luther King Jr., And just funny thing about that point of view, that second point of view, funny thing about it, had more geography, more people, and it actually won. It actually won. We now want to get rid of uh, Gone with the Wind because it's too supportive of the Confederacy's narrative. But 1619, which is entirely based on the Confederacy's reading of the American founding history, is what's now dominant and cool in our education system. All right. See, those guys are Nicole Hannah Jones. Is that her name? Yeah. You, you know, using the authority of Jefferson. Is another example of the book we're going to write together called The World Turned Upside Down. I'm, I'm good with that. Who are the three yeah. most smart people you ever met? Galerter being one of them. It's an interesting it's, question, isn't it? Yeah, I don't know. We're thinking about. Let's move on. So I'm looking last night at the uh, NCAA Ivy League Swimming Champions. And I'm just going to say it right out here on the radio. And I don't know if I'll get arrested. This guy won the women's competition. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. This guy from the University of Pennsylvania. And he was in transition. What is this transition? I don't, uh, you know, the first time I heard this was on the Larry David show. I really, I've never heard it before. Uh, You know, and I get around, uh, but uh, Larry's talking to his friend, one of his friends. And he says, how's that smart nephew of yours who plays tennis at Stanford? He said, oh, he's in transition. I said, what? To, to what? And then I guess one of my sons explained it to me. Uh, Mrs. Bennett was saying, she was talking to people the other day, and they said, oh, yeah, well, I have a daughter who's a son now. Is this, is this a big, is this a widespread thing? Or? Yeah, it is. And it wasn't. Is it really? Yeah. Well, yeah. can we talk about the swimming thing? Can we talk about abs- I want every parent listening to this show to put in Google or whatever their favorite search uh, search engine is children's books, transgender. They will be gobsmacked, gobsmacked with how many books that look like Harold and the Purple Crayon or uh, Corduroy children's books. How many children's books? If I were to tell you 30, that would be a massive undercount. It's an amazing thing how many books there are written four, five, and six-year-olds. It's amazing. It's incredible. Where Again, where are we? Claude, what do you think? I don't want you to get arrested, but what do you think? 
Number one, this um, swimmer is not a national swimming talent swimming as a male, period. He's not. He's not top 10, top 20, top 50. I don't even think, I I, I forget the number. He's not even top 200, okay? I didn't know that. He's he's not even top 200. But then swimming with the women, uh, he's taking all these trophies and he's winning all these all these races. There's a big difference, um, you know, and it, and it gets to it gets to, to, to further points uh, such as, OK, if you if you if you want to transition, uh, they're moving from a standpoint of it being none of your business to it being your business and you have to care and you have to accept. Uh, and I should be able to play in a sport. Um, we're going to get to the point where uh, one single uh, uh, gender neutral bathroom, which by the way is bathrooms in most of our houses. They're single bathrooms and anyone can use it, right? One single gender neutral bathroom in a public place will no longer be good enough. If I feel as if I'm a woman, am I transitioning? I should be able to. It's, it's all about acceptance. It's not about, at one point it was about being free to live how I want to live without any kind of social construct limiting myself. And once you get that, now it's becoming, now it has to affect you. There's no reason why any of these girls in the NCAA, uh, these swim meets who work so hard, uh, who are in these universities and, the, and they're working in the, in, in, that they can't achieve their best because a guy who is transitioning to a girl. And there is a physical dis- difference. It just there just is. I can hear the people screaming about school boards and about vaccination. I'm the father of sons. I hear myself screaming on this topic all the time. This is ridiculous. Get him out of the water. In those meets. But I don't hear the fathers of daughters screaming. Are they? Why aren't they? I had some ambivalence about Title IX, I will, I will admit. But, you know, one of the things that convinced me was to see when I was, my wife made me a soccer coach. and I've never played soccer. I don't know the rules, but she signed me up anyway. And, you know, so the girls playing, we had a team with boys and girls. Just the pride that fathers had in their daughters' achievements. And they're very real achievements and they're very real athletes. You know, I know people are going to say, hey, no kidding, Bill. <laughs> well, they are. So why take it away? Why aren't people screaming, holy hell? I mean, Martina Navratilova, I believe it was she, wasn't she, wasn't a cl- uh, you know, uh, objected to this stuff that's mm-hmm. going on. She's been canceled. What, what are, are they, are the parents of girls not going nuts on this? Father, especially fathers who took the time to train and work with their daughters. There's reluctance to do this, I know. Because these girls at the University of Pennsylvania swimming team, they were reluctant to speak out. I don't know why. Because they'll be accused of being any... Something, yep. People feel silenced. Like, they they can't say anything. Um, It it is also possible that there's so much that people are outraged about uh, that that this is further down the priority list. Uh, Let's see what happens when we're done with mandates and we're done with masks and school board meetings that are talking about masks. And let's see see what happens when we're done with that. Does this this rise to the top? Because one thing's for sure, this isn't going to go away. I mean, this isn't, you know, they're not going to stop. This is the first of many athletes who are going to try this. Um, But uh, Seth, you know, one overarching thing Bill and I talked about, you know, during the radio show and and even on the podcast is what's going to happen when liberal causes collide. I mean, at one end, you have where where's the feminist movement? Where are the women who are saying this is not fair for our young girls? One that is colliding. I'll tell you one that is colliding. And it's the it's the old school. We don't think of them as old. It's the old school gay rights movement that is colliding with this. Andrew Sullivan and Jonathan Rausch and that crowd have no patience for this. Mm -hmm. This is a really interesting fight. 
I yeah, wonder- I've been reading. I've been reading. Uh, what is the, the Sullivan thing? The dish? Daily dish or something like that. Yeah. Boy, yeah, that's yeah. smart. That's a smart damn column. Go ahead. Yeah, one of the smartest. I agree with you. I, I, I wish I liked him more. But anyway, <laughs> you know, I can't answer your question now as to why there's so much silence. I think people don't want to be accused of violating someone's truth. This my truth mantra is deserved oh show between us among us sometime. But yeah, but supposing that truth violates the fifteen years of training you've been giving your daughter. Well, 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 I was just gonna say okay. I can't answer the question now, but I think I can answer it three years from now. And I think three years from now, at the trend we're going, the answer will be no one respects these sports anymore. They don't mean anything. They've been mm. rendered irrelevant. They're just not important anymore. They've been ruined. That's what I think the answer will be in three years. Once you have girls playing on boys' teams and boys playing on girls' teams, it doesn't matter anymore. The sport's irrelevant. There won't be a fight. It'll just die. I think it just dies. It'll be ruined. It'll be another institution the left has taken over and ruined with their progressive nonsense. Yeah. So I people think. won't fight for this like they fight the schools. Yeah, you know, part of part of loud. It won't be a meaningful win. It won't be a meaningful victory. It won't be a meaningful competition, which once upon a time I was told was kind of important to athletics. Why not stand up and fight for this? They won in Loudoun County. They've won in other school districts. You know, part of Loudoun County, by the way, was exactly this issue Loudoun County parents I talked to said what really infuriated them was that boy in the dress in the uh, girl's bathroom yeah well I think that's it though you just said it it was parent against parent but that's what I mean the CRT fight was about adults doing stupid things uh and 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 you know irrational things but this is about when you go on the attack when you argue on this point you're arguing against the a child who has mental issues, I think, um, as much as the parents that allow it and feed it. I, and I think that that creates a level of diffidence. I, do, I just do. I just do. And, th- and thus the power and influence and wealth of Dave Chappelle increases daily, geometrically. Yeah, if you want, uh, or the power of Hannah Arendt, who said uh, the best caricature of progressive education is coming to the point where it is the children who are being asked to change or improve the world so that adult political battles will now be fought out in our schoolyards. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but, but explain to me the success of Chappelle, if it isn't the case that everyone knows what he's saying is in many ways true. So it's almost the opposite of that, of that first kind of theory about the, 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 the liberal causes colliding. I think that there also is a joining of individuals who may be total opposite ends of a political spectrum. But when it comes to some common sense things, they see eye to eye, even though they may not admit admit to it. Think about two, think about some of the folks who do not want to get a vaccine, not necessarily anti-vaxxers, but they just don't want to deal with it. You've got a large black population, super liberal. They don't want anything to do with the vaccine. And you've got a lot of super conservatives, uh, 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 always Trumpers is what we can call them, who are also anti-vaxxers. This is something that they agree on. I think it's the same thing with the Chappelle crew. There are people who will listen to this um, and, 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 and what he says, whether they chalk it up to just comedy and that there are some things that you shouldn't be canceled for if it's part of a, a comedy routine or not, or if they just believe it to be true, which is what Chappelle is say, uh, uh, saying, that it's not just comedy. Why I'm saying that this is exactly what I believe. This is true. These are facts. When you're born 
a female, you're born a female. When you're born a male, you're born a male. It doesn't matter how you feel. You are what you are. Uh, that 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 they, that the same way there are super liberal causes that will collide. I think that there are just some common sense causes that no matter where you stand politically, you just have to agree on it. And I think that's where his popularity is and just the boldness to well, say it and not care about being canceled. You said a lot there. All good. And I think the laughter can be explained by any number of motives, any reasons. Mm-hmm. But the standing ovation. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. That's because mm-hmm. they think he's saying something true. Right. And and might I venture to guess he's not only saying something that's true, but he's at a level of imperviousness to the backlash and people are standing up for saying thank you for saying what I can't. Oh, 100 percent. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, mm-hmm. Seinfeld has complained about can't do he can't do his routine. Right? He won't mm-hmm. do college campuses anymore. Yeah. What yeah. Is it's just this thing. There's no way that all these liberal causes can exist they just can't what happens to the cause that loses out you know when they come on you had mentioned okay the transgender uh in in sports and then like you said the traditional kind of uh gay rights movement when one loses where do they go what happens with these causes i think what we're watching is is the result of some of it in previous iterations they become asinine okay let's take the black lives matter movement for a moment one of their planks was quote, to disrupt the Western-dominated notion of family, close Mm -hmm. quote. And I thought, is that really a good thing to help any cause that says about X, their lives matter? Is that something that will improve the Black community, less family? It becomes ridiculous at a certain point, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. Throwing in a melange of Marxist uh, Marxist desiderata, Marxist-inspired notions that, when actually analyzed, don't connect to the objective that you're trying to achieve. If if you could wave a magic wand over any community, wouldn't you rather fam- better and stronger family structure and fatherhood in that mm-hmm. community? Any community, mm-hmm. not dismantling of it. I mean, that's one example. So I think they become asinine. And so you had it with Title IX, Bill was talking about women should be protected in sports. Sure. But now when we're calling men women, that wasn't what it was intended to do. And it makes an asininity of sports and mm-hmm. competition. Of course, mm-hmm. no one ever envisioned men competing against women. When Bobby Riggs played against Billie Jean King, it was a satire. It was a mm-hmm. joke. People tuned into it like it was the World Wrestling Federation or whatever it's called now. Right. <laughs> if it was Jimmy Connors versus Bjorn Borg. Or, or Bjorn Borg versus John McEnroe or mm-hmm. Billie Jean King versus Martina Navratilova. They turned into it because they knew they were watching a burlesque. Thank you. God bless you all. All right, that's it for today's show. To catch up on previous episodes, go to thebillbennettshow.com. You can follow Bill on Twitter. That Twitter handle is William J. Bennett. You can also like him on Facebook. Just search Bill Bennett. We get a chance to read your emails from time to time uh, on the show. We want to hear from you. Just email podcast at gmail.com. Please rate, subscribe, and share this podcast with your family and friends, and we'll catch you up next week. 